Thank you for listening to the Roundtable Consult, where we discuss political and social issues that matter to you from a spiritual, medical, and legal perspective. Join the conversation with your host, Attorney Sonia Madison and Dr. Mark Williams. Welcome to the Roundtable Consult. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Williams, and I'm joined today by Attorney Sonia Madison. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. You know, because I love my listeners so much, I'm going to work through this cold to make sure they get some great commentary. Did you say you love listening to yourself so much? Is that what you said? <laughs> Don't project what you want to hear <laughs> with the truth. <laughs> False news. Fake news. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> All right. You love listening to yourself. I understand how it goes. You know what I mean, when, when you can do a whole show by yourself, just talking, and then for the first 60 minutes realize that, hey, I wasn't recording. I need to do this all over again. <laughs> you know what's funny? I was just listening to that show this morning uh, as I was preparing for the, the roundtable today. And I thought not only did Mark jump in at the end, but <laughs> he messed up such an informative and <laughs> beautifully commentary show. That's what's good is when you say so much good information that even you have to come out of hiding. Yeah, and make well, you, sure that you, that you put in some two cents. You left it. You left a small window open for me, so I appreciate <laughs> it. So you, maybe you can't talk for two hours straight, but an hour and fifty minutes you can get no problems. <laughs> Just don't become a pastor. I will never attend your church. They'll be there all day long. Like oh lord, oh, is she ever oh, gonna wrap please. this thing up? You wouldn't even realize it. Yeah. Go by so quick, you're like, man, she brought out some good nuggets. I didn't realize even an hour had passed. <laughs> if that's the case, it would be because I was asleep. <laughs> man, it's over already? Oh, okay. I was just getting my good sleep on. But you've been ill? Uh, I, I really think it's a cold. Um, COVID, you I, said? <laughs> a cold. I, I did quarantine, though, because I don't want people seeing me and being like, how dare you come outside when you <laughs> have, yeah. have, you know, an illness. But no, I think it's a cold. I, I visited my niece and nephew last weekend, as you guys know, is one of the reasons why I, I we, we kind of um, pre-recorded that show. But every time I visit my niece in particular, she's got a cold and gives me a cold. And because, you know, she's so young that in her mind, hey, yeah, I'm sick, but life is still great. Whereas you get an adult and become sick and it's like, no, nah, I need the world to stop for a minute. Yeah, especially when you start getting up there in age, you know. Well, you're telling me, so I guess I have even more, more to look forward to when I hit 60. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like you're experiencing some of it now. That bounce back just ain't like what it used to be, huh? It is, it's not. No, I think this is also, I try to put some stuff around my eyes so it doesn't look too bad. And so I think it's just irritating my my eyes. Didn't work. Sorry, sorry, listeners. I know that usually uh, the beautiful face is here to distract you, and I'm messing it up today. My, Don't my just apologize. apologize to the listeners. Apologize <laughs> to the viewers. <laughs> well, that's what I mean, the viewers, because usually they can see me and, and be like, oh, okay, that's the pretty face we're looking forward to every Saturday. Oh, yeah. And I'm messing it up for them today. They're not just like family. I mean, they just, you know, you're ill and they just continue to just rag on you. But you know, I got nothing but love for you, my cousin. I hope you feel well, better. Matter of fact, this past week, I believe they actually authorized now COVID uh, booster shots for everyone 18 and over. And in fact, I just got mine Thursday, actually. It got I was a little... gonna say they picked the right time to put that out there since OSHA is now pretty much man ma mandating that employers permit or pay for um, some of their employees to get the shot. Any yeah. So they, they, for all those employees waiting so they can get some extra pay while they, while they get, you know, the the vaccine, it, they, they picked the right time to start pulling, rolling that out there. Yeah, well, I'll tell you that OSHA mandate is, is, is a topic of a lot of concern right now. Um, 
for small and large. I guess it's only for businesses of a hundred or more. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I had a conversation this past week with my office manager. She said, "You know, everybody in our office has to be vaccinated." I said, "No." She's like, "We receive Medicare, Medicare." I say, "No, I don't think it applies to us." But uh, <laughs> <clears throat> but it made me go look. I was like, I need to look up these regulations. And truth of the matter is, it's not very. What I was reading was not very clear about smaller institutions. And I think they intentionally left it vague that way because they probably want smaller institutions to think that it also applies to them. Everybody in our office vaccinated anyhow, except for one person. And I've never been one to believe in having to mandate it. I'd much rather you get the vaccine for altruistic purposes rather than compulsory. Oh, I like that word compulsory. It just flows (laughs) off the tongue. (laughs) That's just you liking to hear yourself. (laughs) <laughs> but you know what's interesting because you know the the regulations do say hey give if you have some comments or you want to talk about anything that's could have negative adverse effects to provide it so we can we can be on review. I say that to say I don't doubt though that come next year some smaller businesses may be impacted. Uh, and I know that you're in the healthcare field, and I think that's just a completely different realm in and of itself. It's probably why everyone in your office is, is vaccinated, because I'd imagine healthcare workers, that is probably more mandatory. Um, I represent a lot of healthcare facilities, and for the most part, all of them are mandating vaccinations, big or small. But I do think next year, the the regs could change, and it could to some degree in, implicate smaller businesses, particularly if this rollout continues with a hundred and plus and, and not too many issues surface. Yeah. Well, it's no doubt in my mind, if it's not for SARS-CoV-2, it'll be for the next virus that comes along. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, me and my fatalistic beliefs, you know, it's, it's going to happen just simply because we're part of the, the ecosystem and nature is saying, hey, listen, we got to keep you guys in check because you are infringing on our rights and you are um, not, well, not on the rights, on the rights of nature. Yes, we're infringing <laughs> on the rights, the inherent rights of nature. But nature knows how to keep every species, even the top of the food chain in balance. And I think that that was, is bound to happen. I think this is honestly our new standard, our new way of living, you know, in terms of wearing masks and public yeah. gatherings and keeping or maybe some not. social distance. I, to some degree, I think that while that should be our new standard of living, I think that people are, are going to say, no, I don't want to do it. I'm going to revert back to how I was before and just try to normalize the virus, make it part of a part of the the risk that I face every time I go out there. And I, I it's sad. But that's to me where I think we're leaning. Anytime any school or state or any type of entity tries to do a mask mandate, you see a rush of people fighting it and and challenging it and and the like. I am going to be curious to see, again, as this OSHA rolls out, if we have a lot of employees or individuals claiming this sincerely held belief and using that to get an accommodation. It's going to be interesting to see how the courts look at even that facet, what can an employer challenge this sincerely help belief, what that challenge looks like, and it, you know if it's going to be a massive you know influx of people challenging it. I know a lot of people who are not vaccinated and, and are very clear they're not going to get vaccinated, and it's usually for a sincerely held belief. Well, is a sincerely held belief or a religious belief? It's because both. You can have- and I think that's the thing. That's what people don't realize. They People think that under the religious accommodations, it's just about making it a religion. But no, it's a sincerely held um, belief based on religion or practice or, you know, it, again, that individual comes and tells you this is my sincerely held belief. And they, they're the ones that are presenting that. If the employer wants to challenge it, they can. But even in that challenge, the employer has to be very, you know, sensitive to how that gets challenged. Because to some degree, you know, if someone says I have a sincerely held belief based on whatever research and whatnot that they've come to, yeah, again, the employer can challenge it, but it's 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 what what then are what is that employer going to do in terms of no you, this this conspiracy or this research is wrong? I mean, that's not. It's not something the employer can make that <laughs> decision on. But that's what I said. I'm going to be interested to see what some of these cases say. But no, it's not just religion in terms of Christianity or Muslim or anything. It's, it's 
also practice belief everything. So if I'm just a staunch anti-vaxxer, then that's sufficient cause because I've got a sincerely held belief that <laughs> now, vaccines are evil. You can't just evil. say I'm a staunch, you know, anti-vaxxer and walk away. Now, you, again, you got to present some research or something that is supporting something beyond just a blanket. You know, I've made this conclusion. Um, but that's the thing. Then I've got to be critical of your research. Hmm. That will be interesting to find out. And many of the, I think the um, CMS deadlines are usually somewhere in December, I think. And so by January 5th, most people, I think, and the healthcare workers will either be vaccinated or will be fired or terminated. Vaccinated <laughs> or terminated, <laughs> choose, yeah. which is going to be hugely interesting, uh, especially when we start considering, I think last year, last month, there were 4 million, 4.2 million people walked away from their job or the year, the month before last, um, there was 4.2 million people walked away from their jobs or quit. And then I think, uh, the following month, it broke another record, 4.3 million people. I'm saying, how are these people actually walking away from their jobs? What, how is it that people can afford to not work? We've had an issue with some of our uh, turnover in our uh, office now just recently. You know, one person we wound up having to let go, but uh, another two people, one person has already quit and another person is uh, planning to quit, maybe retire in December. And so I'm faced now saying, okay, now we have to try to find some people to replace these and the job market, even though you know, there are plenty of jobs out there that just don't seem to be very many people interested in getting those jobs. And I suspect that once the vaccine mandates are in full effect, that there will be even more people leaving jobs and more job availability and uh, fewer workers to accommodate those jobs. Um, I'm concerned about that. Um, Do you know why people aren't working now? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, I don't know too many people not working, but um, but I, I think some of it is <laughs> the also dating going. pool. None of your boyfriends or anything like that. None of the guys. Yeah, sure. None of them are working. I'm sure. <laughs> that is definitely a prerequisite to date me. You need to have a source of income. J O B. If you want to be with me. <laughs> but you know, I was reading a study that talked about one of some of the reasons that a lot of people aren't working. Um, or, or not going back, I should say, going back to their previous job, because I'd imagine some of them just have decided to do something something else, find some other source of income, is during the pandemic, they began to not only think about, hey, is this, is what I'm doing a, a sustainable, I guess, lifestyle or sustainable source of income? Because we already know the minimum wage challenges that various states and of course on the national level face but also is it important and that, i think that's what's interesting i think people kind of went through that pandemic and kind of realized you know what i'm doing and, and again that's on their own perception but what i'm doing on a mass scale is just doesn't seem important and so then they're trying to find more purpose or, or something that's more passionate that they they want to do and of course some of that stimulus helped gave them some time to to figure it out assuming they figured it out. But I also think once again, we get, we either people normalize the virus or we become more cautious about the virus. We'll see a change. Yeah. And then you have to, my son brought this point up. He's like, realize there's 750,000 people less available to enter into the workforce now because of COVID. Yeah. Although I'm sure you could say probably half of that was people that was already retired or. (laughs) (laughs) A good percentage of them probably weren't going to the workforce anyhow. But even still, when you consider the people who survived but didn't die, they still have long term sequela. Uh, from uh, having an infection, and many of those people are still on disability and unable to work a full-time job. So we'll see what happens after that. But as you mentioned before, we've got a big verdict that came down this uh, We shouldn't be smiling about this verdict, Dr. Williams. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not surprised, you know, not surprised at all. But uh, you want to give our listeners a little bit of background of, you know, what, sure. what happened with everything. Sure. So as you hopefully guys have not been living on a rock, but back in, after, I think it was in Wisconsin, but I, I want to say. <laughs> but, but wait a second. Living in a rock. Actually, 
uh, <laughs> talked to a guy this morning. He's like, so, so who is this written house guy? Because he totally <laughs> turned out, turned off the news for the past year or so with the pandemic. <laughs> I was like, is he serious? <laughs> how do you not know who Rittenhouse is and what even prompted it, Jacob say, Blake or anything so else? Was so deflated by Trump that he said, I just need to get out of <laughs> this world for the next four years. <laughs> no news, no social media, nothing. Just totally disconnected <laughs> from all of it. I was like, wow. I said, I've never, I haven't met anybody like that. So nice <laughs> to meet you. <clears throat> well, well, after the and I unfortunately his name is escaping me. Jacob Blake. But, yes, Jake Blake, the unarmed um, black man that was shot multiple times by an officer claiming that she thought it was a taser. There were marches in Kenosha, and part of that march is here's come Cal Calvin, and these are peaceful marches. Cal Rittenhouse comes in with his AR-15 rifle and um, shoots two people, I mean, kills two people, injures one, I believe. I think that's because I think he was, um, he was getting five counts of, um, of killing or, or murder type charges, felony charges. And so he, he did, as sure we all remember the image of him walking towards the police with his AR-15 and his hands up. And he was subsequently arrested once the police finally realized it was him that was doing the shootings. And so he was charged with, um, initially six or seven counts. Um, one of the counts that I think was the, perhaps the, um, I guess, saving grace or the catch-all was the weapons charge, but the judge threw that out. And and by the weapons charge, I mean, he should not, I think he was underage to be carrying this AR-15 assault. He did cross state lines. Um, and I don't, I'm not even sure he even had the permit to, to carry it. But anyways, he, he wasn't, the judge just admitted that charge and went on to charge him with intentional um, homicide, reckless safety and endangering of safety, unintentional homicide um, and, and reckless homicide. I mean, it was five counts of, of pretty much those varying degrees. And so it obviously sparked a lot of outrage because again, this was someone who came into a peaceful march most of the, if not all the people that he shot were unarmed and he pointed a gun and, and, and killed some people subsequent to a peaceful march. And, and politicians use that as a cry to say, oh, he was justified because he was in danger. And that was his whole defense is, hey, I felt my life was in danger. Now we'll say one of, oh, and, and for those, again, I don't know. So the, the verdict was reached this past, was it Thursday or Friday, where he was found not guilty on all counts, all the remaining counts. And I think one of the crucial pieces of that, I mean, I looked at the video footage and he he does, I think one of the, he says that one of the individuals that was killed and then subsequently died, um, he tried to grab his rifle and so then he shot him. And he said on the stand, I felt like my life was in danger because if he had taken the rifle from me, I feel like he would have killed me. And so I shot him. And then, so he gets up and he's walking away and two people start chasing him. And it, one of the persons survived and he said, you know, I was chasing him because I was trying to get the police to see, you know, he's the, the shooter. No one else is <coughs> aggressively putting people in harm's way, at least not um, endangering their lives to the extent that he was because the police seemed to be looking everywhere but Kyle at the time. And so in the midst of chasing him to, to point out the shooter, he turns around and shoots them. And, and again, one died and, and one was critically injured. Two. And so he's- Two died. Two died. Two died. Well, yeah. I was saying the the yeah. first one had already oh, okay. died, but Not then the two that, that chased him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so he he's on the stand. I'm sure you saw it. And if you haven't seen this being the viewers, if you have not seen Kyle take the stand, it is acting one-on-one -on -one beyond anything that can be imagined. Uh, like I have real That's tears. So cynical. So I cynical. Have real he tears. may have been felt, he may <laughs> have been genuine in recalling. I mean, think about it. Now you're 17, 18 years old and you realize you just he may killed have been genuinely two recalling. I don't think he was genuinely remorseful. <laughs> I, I'm not saying that, that, that there was some remorse there, but you know, just the tragedy and the, the, 
the the burden of realizing that you took somebody's life. That's a lot no, to put no. on a seventeen year old. It was the tragedy and burden of realizing you could go to jail. It wasn't taking someone's life. Uh, he definitely felt full justified in shooting that guy in the chest, as he recalled on the stand. Uh, but anyways, so he he took the stand, and that's kind of how he explained the story was. Hey, I was walking with my AR-15. I wasn't harming anyone, but then someone came and grabbed it. And so then I shot that person in the chest. Two people were chasing me. I felt endangered. And so I shot them too. What saddens me, and so to your point, that's why I'm not surprised, is because when he said that, I felt like a lot of times jurors, particularly when you know that the burden is beyond a reasonable doubt, I think sometimes jurors are looking for a reason to doubt looking for reason to say not guilty. Shouldn't they be? Uh, I mean, that, that's, I guess that's a subjective question. Um, I mean, when you, when you say you know, it's me, beyond. I'm going to say it depends. But, but that's to me what concerns me. And, and this is probably more of a legislative issue than a judicial issue. But what concerns me is, again, he's the one that brought a knife or a gun to a peaceful protest. It reminds me of Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman all over again. And Trayvon Martin is minding his own business walking around. And then George Zimmerman decides, oh, I've got my gun, I'm emboldened and go and rush this person. We're seeing the same thing with Ahmaud Arbery. Ahmaud Arbery is, is minding his own business jogging. And then you get a group of vigilantes chasing him in a, in a truck with a, with a wife. Not just vigilantes. One of our viewers says, this is America, the land of white vi vigilante and the home of black slaves. And so it's not just that you're a vigilante. Your race has a whole lot to do with your uh, vigilantism, I guess. Uh, vigilantism. But um, one, one, just one correction. The uh, Jacob Blake, you know, thanks for summarizing all of that. But Jacob Blake is the we're getting our black uh, police involved black shootings stories a little <laughs> twisted sometimes. But Jacob so Blake is yeah, so many. But Jacob Blake is the one who uh, was shot in the back seven times because the the cop thought he was coming at him with a knife and he was really unarmed. He was, I think, he was being uh, had some type of domestic uh, violence warrant against him and his girlfriend called while he was there and the police came over tried to apprehend him they did tase him they did tase him uh two times but you know and then after that they decided to shoot him in the back seven times and he actually survived go figure that he's paralyzed yeah. but he survived that and um but the point being is that you know in in america in white america that you can do these kinds of things if you're a white vigilante. And this is what I'm concerned about, that verdict. Um, you can do it if you're a white vigilante because we're all based off of a subjective juror, uh, of a jury. And those juries are usually a bit more sympathetic toward the fear that white people would have than the fear that black people would have about something that will take their lives. And it's even more fearful, frightening for them when the person who uh, is quote unquote, the aggressor is a black person. And so um, fortunately in this case, the three defendants were white. <laughs> you know, I, I can't say fortunate, but you can't you know. say fortunately. I mean, it, it well, definitely would have, well, it is. There's it, it some fortune. would have had a different narrative if he wasn't. It, but nonetheless. It would have. It would have. And so what it shows is at least maybe there is some um, neutrality, some aspect of neutrality. And don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming at all that justice is blind. But in how the law is applied, uh, at least this wasn't the situation where there were one or two or three black people coming after a cow written house. Cause then the jury would have deliberated for about 35 minutes and said he's not guilty. <laughs> yeah. 
You know, it took him about four days to do it with a white man, <laughs> with three white men, but three black men, nope. But that's nope. why I brought up the Jacob Blake. It's been, and thank you for that correction. I, I am the blame it on the cold. It's, it's yeah, getting my I mind all screwed up, you know. But but I, that's why I brought up that because it was, the march was in response to that. And a lot of politicians, every time they bring up a Black Lives Matter or any march that is dealing with particularly um, the civil issues facing African-Americans as it pertains to police brutality and, and the like, there seems to be this narrative that, oh, the march is, is violent. And so then we need to scape out and put a whole guard around the march because it's going to be a violent march. And so the fact that he shows up at this march, which is, been, again, people are characterizing it as a Black Lives Matter, which, is, you know, I think it was just a lot of, I don't even think Black Lives Matter was the one that organized it, but nonetheless, it was in response to an issue that has perpetuated the Black Lives Matter movement. The fact that he shows up to the march with the gun is, I think, going back to the underlying racial issues dealing with, with how people are responding to particularly Black people taking a stand. It's as if, oh, I have got to prepare for war simply because a Black person is making a point to say, hey, I don't want to take this. I am trying to bring about some change. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, I think, I don't understand why, I, I guess to some extent I do understand why, but it seems to me that if you bring a gun, a big gun, AR-15 style rifle to a potentially inflammatory or potentially hostile environment. In any case, it could be very peaceful. You bring it into a large crowd with the preponderance of mass shooters and active shooters. I think that personally, I think that's provocative. Uh, you can expect if I'm in the crowd and see somebody walking up with a gun strapped around their chest, I don't know what this person's intentions are. And we're told in those mass shooting environments, if you can't run or if you can't get to a safe place, then now the, the advice is go in and actually attack and try to disarm the person. And I think that was one of the defenses, at least of one of the uh or at least that was the argument of one of the people who were shot, one of the victims, since the judge wouldn't let them be called victims. I'm calling them victims, uh, <clears throat> but which is a whole different yeah, uh, topic that, that for discussion. Was something else, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do think that if you see an act, somebody who you think is an active shooter, this verdict has now said don't try to disarm them because if you get killed, they'll get off scot-free because they were just there bearing their arms that they have a right to bear. And and I'm not sure that the second constitution really uh, qualifies that being able to bear an arm to protect property that's not yours. And, you know, maybe we're yeah, extending, maybe yeah. we're, it's a little bit of an overreach or judicial overreach, but Wisconsin is a big gun loving state. And so obviously the jury of his peers are going to be gun loving people that says, well, psh, you come, if I want to go carry my gun, wherever I want to carry it, it doesn't matter if somebody walk up to me and mistake who I am and mistake my intentions and I shoot and kill them, then I call that self-defense. And that's troublesome for me. And not even again, not even just someone walks up to me. If I then walk up to someone I, I'm feeling emboldened to, hey, you better not, you know, test anything. You better not say anything against what, what I stand for. You better not tell me to leave or ask me to leave or show anything other than compliance to whatever my demand is. Then that's how it's going to be. Because again, it reminds me of of George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin are all over again. You walking up to this individual demanding something and then getting upset and pulling out a gun and then claim, well, I mean, it's self-defense. At what point does the victim, because I'm with you, does the victim have a an argument of self-defense too? Mm -hmm. You're the one showed up with the gun. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, and I, I'm immediately in danger if I feel like someone's walk up to a, a place where I'm thinking I'm just going to peacefully protest, particularly against a statute that I feel like it's harmful. And we know in this country has a lot of contentious views and has sparked a lot of controversy. 
and therefore is, you know, honestly, potentially harmful to even show up to do some of these marches. The fact that you walk up in there with a gun, I'm immediately in, in fear. Because again, why? Yeah. Why do you have a gun? And 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 if you if you don't feel safe, why did you come? Why are you here? I mean, <laughs> well, I feel safe with a gun. That's this issue, and, and that's the and that's the problem. And I do hope because I know we talked about this before. New York is trying to limit places where you can just carry a gun for that same reason, and the Supreme Court is looking at that and, and determining back to your question, whether or not the second amendment does bar that type of statute. But I think those type of statutes are important because yes, like you said, people are just going to be walking around with AR-15s. Again, a gun that goes well beyond what is necessary um, and, and is extremely deadly, particularly again with a peaceful protest, but people are just going to be walking around with AR-15s, daring others to have an opinion about it. I think now you just have to inquire, you know, ask the shooter, are you an active shooter or are you a concerned vigilante? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Just just want to know you before just... I, before I disarm you, you know. <laughs> well, and again, even with that, going back to those facts, he killed someone. And so mm. then the other two, even if you want to make the argument, well, the guy did grab his barrel and, you know, OK, well, the other two. By that time, you are an active shooter. You just killed someone. So the other two are trying to point out to the cops, hey, this is the shooter. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't but matter to the know. cops. It doesn't matter to the cops because they tell them, all right, go on home and turn yourself in eventually. You know? <laughs> all right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Wait till the world hails you as a hero and then just, you know, go ahead and, and come to come to the, the fire. Yeah, that's a whole different story there, too. Matt Gates talking about, you know, want to hire him as an intern and some other person is like, you know, he's now gotten all of this newfound fame. His his defense was actually crowdfunded. And um, I don't know what will happen. I'm sure he's going to go through civil lawsuits and probably will lose some of those. Uh, but even still, crowdfunding will, you know, alleviate the the burden of, or at least the financial burden of that conviction <clears throat> in a, if a civil suit goes forward, uh, which is concerning, you know, when you think that America and not just America, but some of our elected leaders are now touting this individual who really was provocative, whether or not the law deemed him to be provocative or not. Everything that's legal is not right. You know, so we we do have to draw a line, especially if you're of the party who claims to be of family values and who claim to be of religious values. If you're that party, you need to recognize that right goes beyond legal. And even though he may have had a legal justification for coming and doing what he had to do, you have to take an active stand and say, this just simply is not right. And because this is not right, it may not be anything that I publicly condemn, but gosh darn it, it certainly shouldn't be anything that you glorify and 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 list as a um, <clears throat> as a desirable, admirable trait in somebody you want to bring in as an intern uh, for your for your for your uh, law practice or in your office. Um, that to me is disgusting. It's disgusting for any person who claims to be uh religious right or who claims to be christian to 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 get out there and capitalize on this moment like that now you said earlier you weren't surprised huh? you want to explain what you said earlier you weren't surprised as if you were expecting the non-guilty verdicts was it something that happened or a trial or was it just the way of wisconsin and the knowings of the world right now it's the way of america i i know people are very protective of their guns and and they're also protective of their white children um (laughs) so you know that he would be very sympathetic to the i mean the jury would be very sympathetic to him especially after his um dramatic performance on the on the in the on the stand and so i i knew that that's the way that it would go i really had hoped that um 
that they would have come back with a lesser charge to, to at least speak something to the effect of not doing something like that that could be provocative, that would be perceived as provocative to a normal human individual. Uh, when you're in a crowd, if you're in a crowd of peaceful demonstrators and somebody walks up with a gun strapped across their chest, that's provocative. I don't know who you are. I don't know what your intentions are. I'm not darn sure not about to ask, are you an active shooter <laughs> do you with ill intent or are you just here to help protect us? You know, I'm not going to ask that, especially not if I'm a black person in the crowd and see this white kid walking across with a thing on his chest with a gun on his chest. No, I, I really had hoped for the sake of civility that we would have seen a lesser included charge, <clears throat> but not terribly surprised or shocked that it didn't come. Yeah, that one of the charges was reckless safety. And to your point, at least you should have been guilty of that. And and, yeah. and it again, it's not just the fact that it's a peaceful march, but it's also the tone of the country at that time. I mean, we are so divided that when you have someone show up with an AR-15, a kid, and we've know we've got the history of you remember, and I got again, people are names are escaping me, but back in South Carolina, the church guy mm-hmm. walks in and just shoots everyone again, <clears throat> peaceful. Everyone is you know it, worshiping, and he shoots up the church. You know these when these are even schools, people are are sitting getting education, and someone walks in and, and shoots up. I just think the tone of our country is to, that when that happens, it's going to elicit immediate, imminent fear among the protesters because we have seen historically how these peaceful intentions become violent. Mm-hmm. And so I'm with you at least say the charge of reckless safety was was violated here. Was You are guilty of that because you had no business walking in there with an AR-15 at a peaceful protest that uh, given the tone of, of, of our country right now, like you're, but is you're, it permissible me, by law can only be violent, but is it permissible by law? Did he break a law by showing up like that? But, and, and that's to me, when you're defining reckless, that is, is what's going to be the problem that the juries that the jurors are going to have. Cause again, like you said, if you feel like, Hey, he has the right to show up anywhere with a gun, then you're to that point. No, he didn't violate right. the law. And so, if you show up with a gun and you got to aim at other people, like what? What, what you say? What you say? <laughs> yeah, you do that. Then, which I, I think the prosecution actually did make some uh, reference to him actually raising and pointing his gun at people, and I think that's what he was trying to get at and making that argument. Because, um, but I'm still not sure why that was not a. Um, well, I guess he didn't commit a crime in doing that. And so if he had committed a crime in doing that, then and immediately what followed was the attempt to disarm him, then I could see where the jury would come back and say, OK, yeah, well, he did provoke that. And but his mere presence being there with a gun was not provocative to the jury, it, particularly as a white guy. Now, let again, Trayvon Martin his mere yeah. presence as a black guy with a hoodie seems to <laughs> this allow thing right here. Zimmerman to claim self-defense. <laughs> this thing right here, a cell phone in the hands of a black guy is provocative. So, <laughs> uh, but, but but I think that's also why, again, had that weapons charge been able to come forward, then again, back to your point, you violating the weapons charge then makes you holding this gun already in violation of a law. So maybe that would have elicited some more reckless safety um, or more counts. But once that weapons charge got dismissed, you can't even see the underlying violation of that. Right. And so there was no no <laughs> real alternative but then a wing and a prayer uh, that, you know, they would do a socially conscious thing. But I guess as a jury, you can't do a socially conscious uh, which which is why to, so you know with the mod Arbery coming and the guy one of the guys took the stand and, and again Vera sorry I cannot remember the guys I think it was Travis McMichael or Michaels like yeah I mm-hmm. yeah I can't remember his name took the stand and essentially said he he agreed that no Ahmad Arbery was not chasing him or putting him in fear 
But after he chased him down with a truck and had his a his, you know rifle whatever, and then at some point he couldn't see him, and then he sees him, and, and Ahmad Arbery is obviously in fear and trying to you know move or chase him or whatever. They get into a little bit of a scuffle and he kills him. He's saying, "Hey, self defense." It it is it honestly it probably was in that moment self defense. Meaning that he's probably literally did think that if this guy gets a hold to my gun, he's going to kill me. And so I get you say that, but the point is, is that if you started the provocation and you start losing the battle, that's not justification for you to really kill the guy. All I can Even say if is you Trayvon feel like you're defending yourself. Uh, yeah. All I can say is Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman. <laughs> that, that's what's scary, though. That is what's scary. Yeah. Well, it was, it's this whole idea of this whole notion of a citizen in their case, you know, they they claim that they were making a citizen's arrest. First of all, you, you start saying, well, was there a crime committed that you were aware of? So who were you going to arrest? I was going to say arrest for what? <laughs> <laughs> Jogging yeah. in your neighborhood? I mean, what is... <laughs> yeah. Now, it's my it's my understanding that that whole citizens arresting was uh, an 1863 law that was instituted to allow citizens to go and apprehend slaves. Um, We we know it all comes back to slavery. We all all (laughs) all comes back. (laughs) And the mere fact, the mere fact that that thing is still in our law books today and is still being used today. That is critical race theory, people. That is critical race theory. Somebody, this law was made to disadvantage black people and, you know, to allow people to go and hunt down black folks. And it's still today being used as an excuse to hunt down and kill black people. That's critical race therapy uh, theory, where we start exploring how these laws that were created when the country was overtly white supremacist, overtly and overtly oppressive toward black people. And those laws haven't really changed and the, the execution of those laws in many cases haven't really changed, which means they still disadvantage black people. Does it mean that we're oppressed? No, it doesn't mean that we're oppressed. Does it mean that the people who execute those laws are evil? No, it doesn't mean that. It means that we have to re-explore how some of these laws can inequitably affect justice or inequitably be enforced against people of a different race. And, And obviously it still happens because you got people who actually think that they are empowered to go in and arrest a black man who's running away from them, chase him down, run him off the road, chase him down the truck. I mean, he's jogging. You <laughs> threaten to blow his head off with a gun. Threaten to, <laughs> threaten to blow his head off. I'm sorry if I'm running down a street in Georgia and I see three men, three white men in a pickup truck with guns, and one of them say, "I'm going to blow your effing head off." Uh, yeah, I would think that that's a little provocative at this point. It's like do Not or die. Not to mention, I think you would also think that, hey, either I fight back or I'm dying because yeah. you are not outrunning a truck and three guys with, with a gun. You like I tried, <laughs> you know, for the first for the first, you know, three minutes, I was thinking maybe he's just trying to pass me or something, and maybe I'll slow down a little bit. No, nope, he slowed down too. Maybe I'll speed up. No, nope, he sped up. He's really chasing after me, and I'm sure yelling, "Come here, boy! Come here, boy!" You, you know, I know. You know. <laughs> Give us freedom. Give us. <laughs> I'm like really involved. Yeah, it is unbelievable. This is this is our white America, our white America. But this is what happens in our court system. And and I'm concerned that uh, the laws enable this, enable it. And people are so um, committed and so emphatic about their rights to bear arms and and they're just getting stronger, I think. And what, what will wind up happening is we're going to wind up having citizens all walking around the streets like the wild, wild west again. It's, we're, <laughs> we're headed in Tennessee. I mean, we got that open carry law right at this point. I keep saying I'm going to go purchase me a gun. I'm going to have to. But you have to have some type of accountability and, and training of how to interact in a, 
certain certain environment. If I were running for office right now, my platform would be around uh, creating laws that prevent the bringing of a of a um, large weapon to a gathering, a crowd size of great expected to be greater than. 50 or 100 people or something like that it has no place there because it's just too ripe for um, for people who would be mass shooters. Well, and, and so I'm hearing you say that you're hoping the verdict is different or you'll be surprised if the verdict is different from the Cal Rittenhouse by virtue of the fact that you think it's it's a lot more stronger that getting in a truck and chasing this guy for however long, yeah. it, it, it should be a lot more harder to claim self-defense at that point. If, if they get off, God help this country. <laughs> God help this country. Because right now we got we got all of these we Baptists. Already we're already asking God. Cal Rittenhouse got off, so we're, all, we're already saying God help us because we can't protest. But now we got a lynch mob. We got the public lynching. It's according to uh, one of the attorneys in this case. He's like he wound up c- criticizing black pastors from coming into the courtroom, and then all of a sudden, twenty five black. They be like, they don't die; they multiply. And now we've got protests going on outside the courthouse, peaceful protests, which is apparently producing what he called uh, modern day lynching for his client. I'm like, really? You move for mistrial because we've got peaceful black people. You see all those black people out there. (laughs) No good can come from that, Your Honor. Anytime you particularly as someone who has acknowledged that you have done a crime and he well, at least acknowledged that you've killed someone, I should say, maybe he won't acknowledge the crime, but now that you've killed someone and then say, Oh, they're holding me accountable. That's a lynching. You're to me, that's <laughs> only if you're white across your head. I mean, you, you know, <laughs> just, what do you mean? Just, he's a black guy. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just put racism across your head. I'm sorry. Emmett Tail did nothing wrong. And was lynched. You acknowledge you killed someone, <laughs> and oh, you're wow. saying us holding you accountable as modern day lynching. With a peaceful protest, peaceful. <laughs> Nobody's out there threatening you. Nobody's out there peaceful. And that right, uh, just put racist on your forehead. Just go ahead and call it what it is. <laughs> Fortunately, the judge dismissed his move for a mistrial. But the judges are so important in many of these cases, uh, just like with Cal Rittenhouse, you know, you, what do you think about the judge's behavior in that case? Well, first of all, from my understanding, even before being assigned the trial, he has been very vocal about his, um, I guess, anti-Black Lives Matter, um, more supportive of Trump. And, and of course the gun stuff. And so to me, I feel like someone who, is particularly vocal about that and you're in a judicial um, position, I think he should not even have been over the, the trial. I think they-, they Really? Judges are not allowed to have opinions? It's and- a difference we have an opinion it's an, versus, oh, I'm going to be vocal about sharing because the idea is as a judge, you're supposed to be a neutral party. And, and to me, if, if I already know where you're standing, that's not neutrality. And, neutrality yeah, with regard to the law opinion, but you're you've already been vocal about what side of the aisle you're on before you're even reviewing the facts i don't yeah. like that well i mean the point is we all have our convictions everybody has their convictions and what good is a conviction that 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 remains silent i guess it, it can get guard um it can dictate and and guide your own behavior but a lot of times convictions are go beyond just having an internal um, benefit. It's something to also persuade other people. You proselytize people uh, exactly. with your convictions. And, and I guess what I'm saying is if I know your convictions and I know that it's going to go about not bringing fair and, and justice for my client, I don't want you sitting on that on that judge. You go try another case. I mean, you go preside over another case. This case, if your conviction is already one way, you cannot be an impartial judge. Well, so then if you have a conviction that, you know, gay people should have 
equal rights. You know, they should be treated. You know, there's nothing. There's no Hopefully sin about homosexual. Well, let me say, you have you have a conviction <laughs> that that if you're convicted that homosexuality is not sinful, it is not against it is not against the law. Do you want somebody? Do you want that person defending a person who is accused of discriminating against a black, uh, a gay person? No, you don't want that. So, so wait, let, me get, let me get this right. If I believe that homosexuality is not against the law, how does that? I'm not talking about. I'm not talking that? about against the law. I'm talking about your okay. own personal convictions. Your your personal convictions will influence. Your own personal behaviors may influence your peace speech. And our trust is that if you are an arbiter of the law, if you are a judge, then you judge things based off of the law and not necessarily your own personal conviction. You never know what people's uh, personal convictions are. The mere fact that you were public, that you publicly stated those. I don't think should uh, disqualify we you from being able you, to your vocal. We I should ignore your public statement and so say, then, well, I so don't then know judges truly mean so judges not. shouldn't have a right to free speech. Then is what you're saying because <laughs> then it no, would disqualify seen, them from I've being able to re- should, preside just, just like over anything, a court case. Judges, just like anything, some judges will recuse themselves from a case if they realize, hey, I can't be impar- I can't be impartial. Whether it's because I know one of the parties, whether that's because right. I've been vocal about, you know, there's an underlying issue in here. And I, I can't, even if we're talking about the homosexuality. Now, again, I think there's a difference between you thinking having, um, and again, I, 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 to me, any, any sexual, you know, behavior or, or sexual intercourse outside of the confines of marriage is a sin. Now, if, if you feel like, hey, I can't recognize that the law is saying that that is okay, I'm going not to, I'm going to ignore the law from my conviction, then yes, you need to recuse yourself from either issue. So that's the license, point. Obviously, this, yes, you should so obviously this judge, judge understood or believed that he can separate his own personal convictions from his, saying, his discernment of what the did. law is. <laughs> and, and I don't think he did. <laughs> uh, and especially again, you, you, you threw out the the weapons charge i mean i'm just like first of all anything that you do subsequent to particularly again if you're very vocal people are going to scrutinize it to the t i don't i would and not it should doubt, be yeah i would not doubt that the prosecution may appeal the fact that he threw out the weapons charge now, now they can't necessarily appeal the the jury's decision on the the other charges but you all you can do is challenge the judge's decisions going yeah. forward well the weapons charge was uh, thrown out because I guess it was just shorter, just short of what the written law said that the that the gun needs to be in order for um, um, for it to be illegal for a seventeen year old to carry. So he just <laughs> fell under that um, that limit. I still would not be surprised if they challenge it because, and that's what I'm saying. Like it's the judge's decision. The prosecution is going to bring what they feel like. A, a case that meets the elements of the of the crime. Well, they the don't have an says no. option for appeal right now because they're the prosecution. No, that's not true. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Oh, really? They can it can appeal the judge's decision. They can't appeal the jury's decision. Hey, right. He's acquitted on all that. But so now, what's if you the, think what's that the there was judge misconduct, or you think that the judge did something wrong? So what are you going to do? What's the benefit? What's the consequence of that? Assuming they did, they may not do anything. It just depends on again. As a prosecution, you're representing the people. You either the people are demanding it, or you sit and say, "Hey, I, I did what I did, and that's it, right?" Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's going nowhere. <laughs> that's going nowhere because it would do nothing but to anger the judge even more. I'm sure, and he, the judge in this case was angry enough at what the prosecution did and was very vocal enough and this guy ever appears before this judge again i'm sure i'd probably if i were him i'd be thinking like i don't think i ever want to appear before this judge ever again (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but but again back to that the earlier point with the mod aubrey i i it, it will hurt my heart if he if he gets off however i see the two similar in that there has got to be some statement saying, Hey, if you are provoking violence, and I know everyone is going to define that differently because for some people, the mere presence of a black man, 
provokes violence or the the mere prevalence prevalence of peaceful protesters outside a a um, courtroom provokes provokes violence. But to me, chasing someone in a, in a truck <laughs> with guns well, that shouldn't provoke anything, right? That's not provoking. At no point then subsequent can you claim the self defense. I I don't care if you subsequently start wrestling and lose. I don't mm-hmm. even think you need to claim that self-defense at that point. You, the one started this and I can't even imagine how Mar Arby feels as he's being chased down on the truck. Again, knowing the history as, as any black kid knows, knowing the history of race relations in this, in this world and police brutality and the like. And a pickup truck, really? And a pickup right. truck. <laughs> In rural Georgia, I'm yeah. just like I just can't imagine what you're. And thinking. somebody in the bed of the pickup truck. That's if listen, you don't even have to be chasing me down. You know, if I'm seeing three guys in a pickup truck and one of them in the bed, I'm like, mm, be careful of that. <laughs> That's what I say. You got to make a decision. <laughs> I'm gonna die. So do I fight or do I, I mean do I go down fighting or because you're not outrunning a pickup truck. You're not outrunning the pickup truck. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we'll be discussing uh, that verdict next week. The other thing that we, we didn't get a, a chance to talk much about, but the, the case and uh, well, let me refer this uh, respond to some of our viewers. One of them says if a judge publicly is publicly vocal about being against an issue, any issue that concerns a case, they should recuse themselves. And I, I get it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of leniency given to these judges to determine whether or not they can be impartial and nobody can gauge whether another person can be in gar- impartial better than themselves. Right. And, and even they can't do it before. very well. And we talked about this before, which is why local elections are so important, especially here in Georgia. Some of these judges have to be reelected to their seat. So, mm-hmm. again, voting, please yeah. <laughs> get out Somebody and vote and remove them from the seat. Somebody else said, how does a, the presence of peaceful protesters provoke violence if they're black? That's how. I was going to say, uh, Cal. How, how, how does the princess say, let me go get my AR-15 and walk out here? Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Cal is the only person that can answer that question, right? Exactly. But they've got the <laughs> other cases going on also about the, uh, the, the, is this a civil case with the uh, organizers of these white supremacist group from Charleston um, that they're trying to be held I think it's a civil suit. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, somebody. But I, I believe there's a civil suit that's ongoing with the uh, leaders of these white supremacist organizations who anticipated and prepared for and likely incited, uh, intended to incite some violence at that um, at the protests in Charlotte's. And so uh, that's undergoing. So I'm sure over the next week we'll be talking about uh, that case and or the Ahmaud Aubrey case, which seems like it's about ready to come to a conclusion. I think the the the, the case is expected to rest early next week, and so we'll have much more to oh, okay. talk about. So right yeah. right before the holiday, I know we're on the defense side right now because, like I said, he's they've they he's made his kiss claim. Oh, so, so yeah, it should be wrapping up. Yeah, yeah, we got to talk about that too because you know I mean. <laughs> I, I'm so mad that I missed the prosecution's cross-examination of Travis McMichael. I wanted so bad because I was sitting <laughs> listening to some of his, some of the prosecution. I was like, oh man, I'm not an attorney. And I would shred that to pieces right there. I said, you just left the door open for so many things. And I know she's probably got to know far well, more than. And to that point, I, I think the prosecution did a really good job of hammering in. Uh, now, let me get this straight. You're chasing this guy in the truck. <laughs> <laughs> with shotguns because I mean he conceded that there was no threat when he hopped in that car or yeah. hopped in that truck yeah when don't give him too much done. we're going to do that next week we'll oh, okay next okay week. okay <laughs> <laughs> oh, so we will be meeting after the holidays I, I don't even know if we discussed that but I guess you're like Sonia find oh, it oh yeah <laughs> find it because we got to do it we got to give thanks next week so <laughs> So, I mean, thank you guys again so much for tuning in. Please like, 
um, comments. We definitely enjoy hearing some of your commentary and opinions. If you have not heard some of our old episodes, not only can you see them here on Facebook, but you can also subscribe to your uh, with to the Roundtable Consult on your favorite podcast platform, whether that's Apple or Google Play, and also check out Star Radio. They replay some of these episodes as well. And we, again, love to hear what your comments and opinions are. In the meantime, we are here on Saturdays, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time. Until then, enjoy your Thanksgiving. This has been another episode of the Roundtable Consult. Listen to this or other episodes at your convenience on your favorite podcast directory or listening app. Or catch us live every Saturday morning, 10 a.m. Central Standard Time, 11 a.m. Eastern at facebook.com forward slash roundtable consult. Tune in live and join the conversation.